Uh, just seeing my little brother in prison. He was like my best friend. And unfortunately, he passed away uh, a couple years ago. But yeah, just seeing him behind bars, I was like, man, I, I don't want to live like this. Yeah. Can't keep, you know, going down the same path. So I think once I, probably when I saw him, that's probably an inflection point for me. I was like, man, I got to straighten up and make sure I get out of Shreveport. Today, we're going to be speaking with one of the most inspiring individuals I've come across on the internet. His name is Dr. Antonio Webb. He was born and raised in Shreveport, Louisiana, a city with a crime rate that is 144% higher than the national average. He saw his friends, his brother, and his sister go in and out of prison. His mother, addicted to drugs, also in and out of prison several times throughout his childhood, became paralyzed from the waist down after being shot. This was life as he knew it growing up but he changed the trajectory of his life when he joined the military at age 17. Since then, he went on to become an LPN, or licensed practical nurse, to pursuing his dreams of becoming an orthopedic surgeon. He is now a practicing orthopedic surgeon in San Antonio, Texas, an author, a motivational speaker, and he has a YouTube channel with over 380,000 subscribers where he shares his experiences as an orthopedic surgeon and he sprinkles in a few financial videos for his viewers that are interested in finance. So with that said, Dr. Webb, let us know where you're from and why you decided to become an orthopedic surgeon. Yeah, so my name is Dr. Antonio Webb. Um, I am an orthopedic spine surgeon uh, here in San Antonio, Texas. My path really started kind of in the military to medicine when I went in at the age of 17 and did eight years in the uh, U.S. Air Force um, with the whole goal of getting out of the military and going to medical school. So I, I knew going in that I was going to become a physician and um, I was a medic as well as a LBN. And that's kind of how I started my uh, journey to uh, medicine. And why did you become an LVN in the first place? Well, what was the reasoning behind that? Yeah, so the LVN, it's uh, as a medic in the military, specifically the Air Force, the Army also, uh, our training is very similar to a LVN. So we were able to challenge the California Board of Nursing to become an LVN. So the training, very similar. And I just basically challenged the California Board of Vocational Nursing and got my LVN that way. And how long did you work as an LVN? I worked probably two or three years as an LVN. I was a medic for uh, eight years in the military, but specifically two or three years, I worked in an ICU, a surgical ICU uh, mostly. That's interesting. What state was this in? San Antonio, Texas. Ah, and why did you end up in San Antonio, Texas? Uh, that's, that's kind of where the military sent me. Yeah, that, that was basically my uh, duty station. And I really spent my entire military career in San Antonio. I had orders to Korea, but I was able to kind of turn those down and stay in school because I was going to school full time in the military, too. So I would work um, as a medic at nighttime at the ICU, pediatric ICU, let's say from 6 p.m. to like 6 a.m., like 12 hour shifts. And then I would get off of work and go to school maybe from 7 to 12, maybe 1 o'clock. And I would sleep for a couple hours and then go back to work. So I did that for, man, a long, long time, a couple years. And uh, it took me seven years to get my undergraduate degree, but uh, finally finished it. It was hard trying to juggle military and uh, going to school full time. And how old were you when you got your LVN uh, license? I had to be maybe 20, 20 years uh, old. You're yeah. pretty young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you practiced as an LVN for a couple of years, and then what did you do, uh, or how did you decide to get into medical school or go into medical school? 
Uh, well, I, I knew going into the military, I went in at age 17, I knew I was going to become a physician ever since a, a magnet program in high school that I got exposed to. Uh, I just wanted to become a physician. But uh, becoming a LVN, it was like a stepping stone to becoming a physician. And going into medical school, I was somewhat familiar with a lot of the terminology, the medications, and just the language that's used in medicine. So it was somewhat helpful to me to just be familiar with those terms. And anyone else that wants to become a physician, just having a nursing background can certainly help. But you grew up in one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the U.S. What was it that led you to want to become a physician when you were surrounded with all this crime around you? What made you different from your siblings? What what was it? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting uh, question. I get that a lot. And uh, honestly, not sure. I, I think it was really a magnet program. I, I mean, I would credit that program that just um, sparked an interest or gave me the insight of, wow, this is something that's possible. And I had a best friend. We kind of stuck together. Uh, he's a cardiothoracic anesthesiologist. And basically, we just uh, hung out with each other and looked out for each other and uh, just tried to make the right decisions. And I'm not saying I made all the right decisions, certainly got into a lot of trouble and <laughs> was heading down the wrong path a couple of times. And, you know, I basically just stayed in the books, but you, you are right. A lot of my family members, friends, uh, my little sister did time in prison. My little brother was sentenced to a juvenile life sentence for armed robbery. My mom, ever since I've been young, she's been on and off drugs and in and out of jail my whole life. And just a few years ago, she was actually shot and she's paralyzed from her waist down due to her uh, drug addiction. And also my dad, when he was young, he was a uh, joined a gang, sold drugs, used drugs. I mean, he just tells me all the stories of the things that he was doing, like breaking in people's houses when they were at home, getting shot by the cops or getting shot at. Uh, I think there was a time where a, a bullet just barely missed his ankle when he was running from them. So they, they were shooting at him. Yeah, my dad was uh, my dad was a G back in the day. <laughs> Luckily, I mean, he turned his life around. He became a minister. He was a pastor at one point. And, you know, we would go out into the streets of Shreveport, Louisiana, and just minister. And we would hand out pamphlets, hand out food. And just, um, I mean, he's a really giving person. And I, I saw that growing up and just kind of took note of that. So I guess you seeing him turn his life around probably made you think, you know, maybe I can do something better for my own life. Like I can probably change my own course of life after seeing what your father did. Yeah, just seeing that same thing over and over again. I mean, people in and out of jail, people getting killed. I've had so many friends that I've lost. My cousin that I grew up with kind of growing up in Shreveport, Louisiana, I mean, he did time in prison, recently got out maybe about two years ago, and just seeing him kind of fall victim to that path, I mean, that was hard. And just seeing my little brother in prison, he was like my best friend. And unfortunately, he passed away uh, a couple years ago. But yeah, just seeing him behind bars, I was like, man, I, I don't want to live like this. Yeah. Can't keep, you know, going down the same path. So I think once I probably when I saw him, that's probably an inflection point for me. I was like, man, I got to straighten up and make sure I get out of Shreveport. And that's really was kind of my impetus for joining the military as well, just to get out of that environment. I left at age 17. They let me graduate high school early. We were kind of on the quarter system. I had completed all my credits. So in December of my senior year of high school, I went to boot camp and I um, came back to walk with my graduating class in my military uniform around May or like May, yeah, May of graduation. So, but I'm glad I got out of Shreveport. If I would have stayed there, I would probably be dead or in jail right now. Wow. How's your relationship with your mother at this point? It's, uh, it's, it's good as it can be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean. So she's uh, has a lot of medical conditions and um, 
But uh, yeah, I mean, it's I try to do as much as I can. Gotcha. So, okay, walk us through your course of when you got into medical school to the point where you became an orthopedic surgeon. How long did that take? What was the route that you took to get there? Yeah, so medical school, as everyone knows, is uh, four years. Uh, and then you have to apply for residency. For surgery, or especially for orthopedic surgery, I mean, that's really competitive. I applied to about 80 programs wow. as a medical student and interviewed, man, probably 14, 15 places. Jeez. And then so you have to complete a orthopedic surgery residency. It's five years. And then you have to, most people do a fellowship. I, I did a fellowship in spine surgery, so I did an additional year. But I really don't even talk about the kind of the extra years in college that it took me. So it took me actually seven years of college. I did a one-year post-bac program as well, just basically to strengthen my application. So that's eight, four years in medical school. So that's 16, five years of surgical residency. That's 21. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a <laughs> oh, man, you're going to keep going, huh? <laughs> yeah, so, I, I don't know. I, I lose track of the time. I can't even yeah. <laughs> a long time. <laughs> Why orthopedic surgery? Um, you know, orthopedic surgery, I, I really love it. It's a really collegial feel. It's, um, I love the uh, reconstructive part of it. Patient comes in with a really bad fracture and the pieces are kind of all smashed and 10 different pieces. It's like putting together a puzzle sometimes. You have to like, really, okay, this piece goes here. You're going to put a screw in this and uh, put a large plate or external fixator, which is all these pins and wires. You just reconstruct things. And I just kind of fell in love with the reconstructive aspect of it. Um, and you can do so many things in orthopedics. You can do knee replacements, hip replacements. You can do foot and ankle, ACL repairs, um, slap tears, rotator cuff, spine surgery. I mean, the, the list kind of goes on. And that's what I really enjoyed about it. I, I got to tell you, I ran across your video on uh, how much student loan debt you had, which was over $500,000. Mm -hmm. And I subscribed to you ever since then, because you said your goal was to like pay that off in a couple of years. But yeah. I've been following you ever since. And I've been so obsessed with your orthopedic videos. <laughs> like, I'm not even into, you know, medicine like that. But your videos are so interesting. There's one of your videos that has like 16 million views. Like uh, chiropractors performing like a procedure on on their patients where they like pull on their heads. Yeah, tries, the like what's yeah. it called? It's called the white strap. There you go. Strap <laughs> it death. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but you do sprinkle in some financial videos in between, which I find really interesting because you've been posting videos on YouTube for about nine years now. Oh, right? really? I, I, yeah. yeah. Right. And one of your most recent videos, this I think you posted it about two, three months ago or so, where you purchased the property and your goal was to hold it as a rental property. It was a home that you purchased recently. I don't know if you actually went through with the purchase, yeah. but I know that you also are trying to invest your money. You're not just spending your money, all the money that you make from your practice, because now you also have a practice. Yeah. Right. So what is your financial goal? Because I know as surgeons, you guys make like four, five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars plus per year. Yes. So what is your financial goal with the income that you make? Do you plan to invest it in any way? Yeah, absolutely. So that's the problem that a lot of physicians face. They outlive their, their, their lifestyle or they uh, try to keep up with the, with, with the Joneses. And it's okay to have nice things. I mean, I, certainly I have nice things. But also, you, you really have to be responsible and forward-thinking and thinking about your finances and investing, because I don't plan to practice medicine forever. My hands could be injured. Um, I have insurance on my hands. 
So if something happens to my hands and I can't operate, certainly there's income to replace that, but it's not going to be at the same level as kind of what we earn as surgeons. But um, when I'm talking about investing and also finances, I think it's really important that you have to diversify. So uh, you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. So there's pre-tax investment opportunities. There's post-tax investment, like a brokerage account or like um, index funds, which I invest in pretty heavily, you know, and then you have your, your real estate and especially as a surgeon in Texas, there's other ancillary opportunities, invest in hospitals and surgery centers, buildings, commercial real estate. So there's a lot of opportunities to do that, but diversification is key. And why did you decide to open up your own practice? Well, I, I'm in a practice with a large group of doctors. So uh, we're all considered kind of independent, Yeah. Um, but it's, I've always had that entrepreneurial mindset and uh, I'm a business person. So I love business. So in terms of just making my own decisions, in terms of how I practice medicine, where I want to practice medicine, who I want to hire, who I want to work for me, I wanted those decisions to be made by me and not by someone that's in the corporate world, like a um, big hospital or a academic center. So when you go out into medicine, there's three different pathways, really the three different main ones. You can work for a hospital as an employed physician and they pay you a salary. The second option is to work at an academic center where you teach residents, medical students, you, you become professor, assistant professor, and all that other crap. Uh, the other one is private practice, which I'm in. So, and that's when you're independent uh, physician and most people in private practice, they get paid 1099. So those are the three main practice models. Gotcha. And I saw you posted a video during COVID where, you know, elective surgeries were being shut down and all these other things were happening that were affecting your practice. How is your practice doing now? Are you guys much more profitable now than you were during COVID? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we did take a, a large hit. Most people lost quite a bit of money during COVID. Uh, there's some people that actually benefited from it as well. And for the vast majority of people took a pretty significant hit. So but practice is going well. Um, you know, I, I have a really busy and robust practice. My surgical calendar is kind of booked out until like October, November at this point. Wow. <laughs> I have two nurse practitioners that work for me. Uh, my plan is to hire a third one in January timeframe. And uh, this past week, I did about 10 surgeries. Uh, the week before that, I did 13. So I, I do, uh, my practice is uh, very busy. We see about 60 patients in a full clinic day. Just Jeez. me and my two uh, nurse practitioners. So. Um, uh, but yeah, staying busy. Now, how do you manage all of this? Because you also run a YouTube channel and <laughs> you have various other things that you're running at the same time. How do you do all of this? Well, you, you have to be really disciplined. And that comes from my time in the military. Um, you know, whatever field that you're in, if you're a nurse, um, lawyer, um, whatever <laughs> business person, you have to be disciplined. And that's, um, I have a really rigid schedule. And the first thing to do is really just wake up early. I mean, I've never, I never sleep in. I, I don't even know how to sleep in. My my internal alarm clock goes off every morning at 4.15, 4.30, and I just get up. I really don't even need my alarm clock. I <laughs> come straight to my office. Um, I usually um, you know, get some work done, watch the news, uh, look at the tickers for the stock market, and, uh, and just try to accomplish uh, as much as I can before the day gets started. And then two days a week, I train. I have a trainer. Just started that a couple of weeks ago. And so we train at 530 to 630 and I go straight to surgery uh, from there. But it's been really been really disciplined with your time, making checklists of everything that you need to accomplish during that day. 
And the, the people that survive, especially in private practice where uh, you eat what you kill is really the model. Um, you know, if I take off work, I don't get paid, but I have nurse practitioners that are still working, um, get to earn some income that way. But it's not like I'm an employee at the hospital where I have a guaranteed salary. No, if I take off for two weeks and I'm going out overseas here in a few days or actually tomorrow, uh, I don't get paid. So um, if you work at an academic center, you get paid time off. So that's there are a lot of pros and cons to the different practice models, but uh, you have to be very disciplined. And the people that succeed in private practice are ones that are extremely efficient with your time. And I'm, I would say on a scale of one to 10 with someone who's um, very efficient, I'm probably a 15. <laughs> like OCD about it. Like, yeah, I complete all of my my notes for the week and all of my operative reports. I have templates and everything is kind of to the T. I mean, I, I, I run a machine and that's, that's mm. the, really the only way to really do it and be successful in private practice. I mean, you must be having racing thoughts through your mind all day, every day. <laughs> I'm always thinking about what I got to do. Yeah. But yeah. Also, I have a family, too, though. So I have three kids. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I got to spend time with them and make sure uh, my wife um quality time with her too so exactly but i'm usually um yeah I, I try to get all of my surgeries done and clinic notes and everything before i go home and just spend time um spend a few hours with my family once i do get home yeah. so on average how many hours a week you work uh, i don't know as a resident sometimes up to 80 to 100 hours a week um as a fellow a little bit less than that but in practice if I have to give a wild guess, maybe 60. Yeah. But the time actually working at the hospital and in my office, um, but I, that does not count all the other time that I'm prepared for surgeries, reading, talking to other physicians, uh, just game planning, a uh, particular complex surgery. So, I mean, it adds up probably 60 to 80 wow. and all the do other you, too. Do you ever feel stressed with the amount of work that you have to do? No, not, not really stress. I mean, sometimes it can be overwhelming, but that's, this is what we train for. So uh, as I mentioned, uh, for to become a spine surgeon, I mean, it takes 15 years of training just to get to yeah. this point. So everything is, for me, it's, uh, it's really routine in the operating room. There's some patients that do have some aberrant anatomy and things that kind of throw you off a little bit and you have to really think on your feet. And a lot of times I've been in a case like, man, I've never seen this before, never done this. You have to really just go back to your knowledge, people that taught you and uh, just really just take take a second, just think about what you're trying to achieve. But uh, not really stress, it's just, uh, it's what we plan for. That's same thing in the military uh, in the combat situation. Maybe that's stressful. Some people, you have to be uh, really resilient. So uh, you mentioned earlier that you have to insure your hands. I had no idea. And I didn't think about that, you know, that you as yeah. a surgeon actually do have to do something like that. Yeah, uh, just like singers, they insure their voices. <laughs> wow. You know, some people have million dollar policies on their hands. Yeah. Uh, something happens to my hands. I can't operate. Yeah, you got to have an insurance policy in your hands. You know, I saw um, one of the videos that you made, you reacted to an anesthesiologist who made like $70,000 a month. Right. And I love your reaction videos because you've also reacted to videos on Dave Ramsey's show where yeah. I think one of the callers had over $400,000 in student loan debts. Where do you think you stand at the moment with your student loans? Do you still have the goals of paying those student loans off in a couple of years or take your time or maybe get them dismissed? What's the goal with the student loans? Well, I, I go um, kind of ebbs and flows, uh, especially with this uh, 0% pause. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it's, I, I think... 
from a financial standpoint, investment standpoint, it's better to put that money elsewhere and let it work for you, uh, especially when it's zero percent. So, I mean, I recently made a hundred thousand dollar payment to my student loans, and probably next week I'll make another hundred fifty thousand dollar payment, and wow. hopefully within the next six months, uh, probably less than that, I'll, I'll pay it off. Um, you gotta update us, man. You gotta put this on a YouTube video. <laughs> Yeah, I will. Yeah, I'm telling you. <laughs> so I watch your videos. I, I follow you on Instagram. Can you let my viewers know how to reach out to you if they want to see your videos? They want to get in contact with your content? Yeah, most of my uh, content, Antonio WebMD. That's uh, LinkedIn. Instagram is Dr. Antonio WebMD. My other Instagram was hacked. Couldn't get it back and I had to start over, but that's okay. YouTube, Antonio WebMD, TikTok, uh, Twitter. Yeah, that's how you can find me. My website is AntonioWebMD as well, .com. Yeah. And you also have a book. What's the name yeah. of your book? Uh, book is called Overcoming the Odds. And I uh, wrote that a couple years ago, really to inspire a kid that looks like me, uh, that comes from a similar background that uh, they can just pick up and have some actionable items uh, throughout the book. Mistakes that I've made along the way to get to this point and uh, just wanted to kind of chronicle my life story of growing up in Louisiana and becoming a spine surgeon. All right, guys, that's it for today. If you enjoyed this video and you wanna see more like it, then make sure you let us know in the comment section below, like this video and follow us for more.